The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And this week, we are just days away from UFC 280, one of the biggest cards of the year, stacked. Stacked doesn't even really begin to define this card. It is ridiculous. It's an embarrassment of riches. The main card is off the chains. Uh, main event, Charles Oliveira, Islam Makachev, uh, excuse me, Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw, Piotr Jan taking on Sean O'Malley. Uh, you got uh, Matush Gamrod against Bill Neil Dariush. You've got Bilal Muhammad against Sean Brady. You got Caitlin Chukagan against Mano Fior. If I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, I usually butcher it. Uh, yeah, it's a it's just an incredible card, start to finish. Uh, of course, if you missed our preview show, we actually had our preview show a couple weeks ago with the great Anthony Smith coming on and breaking down the entire card with me, uh, talking about you know what what we see lying ahead. Uh, if you missed that show, go back two weeks, catch the Fighter versus the Rider episode with myself and Anthony Smith debating UFC 280 ahead of time. Want to get that one in early because, of course, everyone's going to be doing preview shows this week, so we got it in early. With that being said, we do have two great interviews uh, coming up today. Uh, the first one coming up is going to be, as far as I understand it, the first interview with him since the news broke about his next fight, which is UFC legend, former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar, who announced recently that he is going to be uh, retiring after his next fight at UFC 281 in November. He takes on Chris Gutierrez on that card. Uh, I'm going to talk to Frankie about his decision to retire, what led to that decision, why now, is there a chance this really is, you know, is there a chance this is not really the last one or, or is this really it? Uh, so we're going to talk about all that with Frankie Edgar in just a few moments. I'm also going to play an interview a little later with Benil Dariush as he gets ready to take on uh, Matush Gamrot in a in a pivotal lightweight fight. Uh, now, truth be told, and I'll, I'll mention this again before the interview plays, this was recorded a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, before the news came out that Alexander Volkanovsky is now saying that he is going to be the uh, potential replacement for the main event if anything should happen to Makachev or Oliveira. Now, again, I, that just came out within a matter of days ago, so this interview was conducted prior to that because, of course, travel and guys getting into Abu Dhabi and things like that. So I talked to Benil a little ahead of that. Uh, but we still talk a lot about the title picture where you know he kind of has become the odd man out a little bit at, at lightweight, even though he's on an incredible win streak, ton of finishes, and just because of that injury back in February where he couldn't fight Makachev, now he's suddenly kind of become you know the the odd man out of lightweight where people are talking about Volkanovski getting the next shot, people are talking about the winner of Poirier and Chandler getting the next shot, and somehow Benil's gotten lost in the mix. So we're going to talk to him about that um, and also preview his fight, of course, with Matush Gamrod. But first things first, Let's talk to a man who will, without a doubt, one day go into the UFC Hall of Fame. We talk about that as well, but I believe he is a surefire UFC Hall of Famer. He is a former lightweight champion, a former featherweight title contender, and now he's stepping into the fray one last time to take on Chris Gutierrez at UFC 281 in what will be his final fight. Let's talk to Frankie Edgar. The word legend gets thrown around in this sport a lot, but one guy that I know defines that word better than almost anybody else in this sport. He is a former UFC lightweight champion, and he is a future UFC Hall of Famer. He will make his return to action in November in Madison Square Garden. I am always happy to speak to the great Frankie Edgar. Frankie, how are you? I'm good, Damon. Definitely a pleasure to, uh, to be talking to you here. Always, always good to be talking. I know fights coming, come looming when I'm talking to you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We go back a long ways, Frankie. When this one got announced, of course, came along with the news. This is going to be the last one, the the, the last uh, the last run for the answer. Is it? Is that it? Or, or let Let's just start right off the bat. Is this really the the final fight? Yeah, I hate saying it, but yeah, I, I got I got to say it. I always I always thought I was going to be a guy that would never say I'm retiring, but. If I don't say it, I'll, I'll never get out of there. And uh, I think now's the time. You know, I need I need to worry about what I'm doing next. So I need to kind of move past this part. I got to be honest. I was one of those guys who said you never would retire. Like, I mean, you know, maybe just stop fighting. You know what I mean? You just kind of do your own thing. But I like I was one of those guys who said I'll never hear the word retirement uttered by Frankie Edgar. But I do know talking to some guys and girls who, who kind of define a fight ahead of time saying this is my retirement fight. They, they tell me it's like that's the way to make them stick to it, right? Like that's the way to make them like, you know, go in. Because when you come out of the fight, everything goes well. You beat Chris Gutierrez. You're feeling great. You're on top of the world. You know, you're like, ah, one more, two more. So is that part of it, like kind of defining it ahead of time, saying, okay, I got to put a, I gotta put an end date here? Yeah, it helps. You know, it definitely helps uh, that process. Um, you know, I'm not one to kind of say stuff and, and, and you know, renege on it. So uh, I said it. I'm going to, you know, follow through and, uh, it, it sucks, you know. Like I said, I, I definitely don't want it to be, but um, you know, all good things come to an end. So let me ask the question: Why? Like, why now? What was it about now that made you decide that this was the time to walk away? I mean, again, you've got an incredible family, your wife, your kids. You've always had an incredible support system around you, and I'm sure they're on your side no matter what. But what was like? What was there one deciding factor? Was there ten deciding? Like, what was it about this moment? You said, you know what? It's time. I mean, there's a lot of things I, I would think, uh, you know, kind of the way, the way, uh, my fights have been going, uh, as of late, may, maybe, uh, led to that as well. Um, you know, my body, I am getting older. I feel great. You know, I mean, I, you know, in camp, I, you know, I, I'm such a strong minded person that, that I always have great camps. I always feel good, but, uh, you know, it, it, the body takes its toll throughout the years. And, 
you know, I just want to move on and see what's next. You know, I, I know I can't, the thing is, I know you can't, I know I can't fight forever. I could definitely string it on a couple more years probably, but I know I'll never move on to what's the next chapter of my life. And I think now I'm kind of, I'm being selfish, you know, trying to still chase this when, you know, I got a family and, and, uh, and kids that want to, uh, you know, have goals of their own and, and, you know, they want me around and, you know, probably want me to be able to, to speak, you know, good and have my health wits about me. So, uh, I just think now is probably, probably the, the best time. Was there any element of, you know, I hear this a lot, you know, you want to, re- you want to retire from the sport. You don't want the sport to retire you. Now I know you had a couple of tough losses, but the guys you lost to, I mean, Cheeto Vera top five guy in the world, Corey Sandhagen, top five guy in the world. You have a win over Pedro Munoz, who is a top 10 guy in the world. So it's not like you're, you're, you're losing a bunch of fights. You're losing no name bums. That's just not the case. The guys you lost to are literally two of the best guys in the world right now. Um, but was there a part of that saying, you know, kind of picking your own time and, and, and not being one of those guys? Unfortunately, Frankie, and you and I have both seen it, kind of the, the horror stories of the sport, guys that just don't know when to quit, guys that, that just do stick around too long and they're losing fights and, you know, you're kind of feeling bad for them at the end. You know what I mean? No, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Uh, uh, it's not fair to put my family through that either, you know, and um, or just, I, you know, my pride doesn't want to deal with that either, to be honest with you. And, uh you know, I, I feel like I was, I got there. I guess I feel like I still can hang with the best in the world, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think in the past, maybe I would be, I would have won those fights, you know, and now I'm not winning them fights. I, I don't know if that's just because the way time goes or this guy's getting better, or, you know, it's just the way that's the breaks of, of, of this game. And, uh, you know, now's the time and we'll get one more and in New York, you know, right, right, right in my backyard, a lot of history there. Uh, I think it's a good send off. Yeah. Was it important for that element, you know, doing it in Madison Square Garden? I know when they had the one Madison Square Garden a few years ago, the Jeremy Stevens fight, you you wanted on that card, man. You really wanted on that card. I remember talking to you before it got booked and after it got booked and after the fight, you wanted that fight so badly to get on there. Was that a big part of this, the timing of this saying, okay, you, you might have had the retirement fight on your mind, but doing it in Madison Square Garden really does make it special. Yeah, I think everything just uh, lined up perfectly. You know, uh, I started getting the itch in the summer. I knew they're coming to New York, and you know, I just found out, oh, they're coming to New York in November. I know they usually do. And um, yeah, I said, all right, if I'm if I'm gonna if I you know I, I felt I wanted to do one more. You know, I had had a couple surgeries last year. You know, I had a couple fights and a couple surgeries. So um, you know, I felt like I you know got my body kind of you know in a good place, ready to kind of you know attack training. Started getting after the summer. Started the ball started rolling and. November 19th came, came up and I'm our uh, 12th rather. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's, let, let's make this happen. Yeah. I know that you've always maintained a really good relationship with the UFC, with Dana White, with the matchmakers and things like that. But when this fight gets made and, and you know, you're telling them like, this is the last one, what is the reaction? Because I imagine it's probably similar to me where I'm like, I just never like not to say you'd stop fighting, but I was the guy who was like, I don't think you'll ever use the word retirement. Like I could just see Frank like, oh man, it's been two years since Frankie fought. And you're like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll fight again, maybe I won't. Cause Joe Lozon says that to me. He's like, ah, maybe I'll fight again, maybe I won't. He didn't want to use the word retirement. What was the reaction from the UFC? Have you talked to anyone like when the fight got made or Dane or anybody? Like, cause I imagine they probably had a similar reaction to me. Like, really? Frankie's actually doing this? Yeah, no, I, no, I never really spoke to anybody direct about you know this being my retirement fight or anything. I'm sure when I, when I see him, I'll, I'll talk to them. Uh, you know, Ali pretty much you know got all the this shit this situated, but uh, you know I, I would imagine as promoters, Dana's been in this game for a long time. They 
they probably don't believe anybody when they say they're retiring anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask that question, Frankie, because listen, we have a joke. Oh, I will say it's a joke, but it's like a running kind of theme. When someone retires, we actually have a hashtag on Twitter, you know, you know ta- hashtag MMA retirements because guys, you know, retire six months later, they book a fight a year later, they book a fight. You know, sometimes it doesn't even last that long. Um, now I think you're in a different situation because you are a legend. You've already accomplished so much. Your legacy is set. It's cemented everything you've done in your career. You don't need to do anything else to prove what you've done in your career, but obviously you do have a wife, you do have kids. Is it important for you to stick to this decision now for them as much as yourself when you say this is the last one? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, like I said, it, it, it'd be selfish. I keep, you know, chasing this, pursuing these dreams and not that I'm, you know, not an absent, you know, I'm absent that much. It's kind of a, it's a good career to have to raise a family. You know, you're around when you can, when you, when you want to be, but um, yeah, I, I just think it's time that to, to dive, you know, most of my attention into what's next. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to say I'll never say die, but uh, it would have to be a very, really, you know, a really good situation for me to come back. Yeah. So now that being said, um, Chris Gutierrez, it's a really fun fight. He's obviously on a good win streak. I think undefeated in his last seven, if I'm not mistaken, you know, solid guy. Now this is not to take a knock at him by any stretch of imagination, but when I hear about Frankie Edgar retiring, my first thought is like, man, I would love to see you go out against another legend. Like Dominic Cruz was the one I wanted. Now, of course, Dominic unfortunately suffered a knockout of his own fairly recently. You know, I think it was August. So I doubt he'd want to come back that soon. And and November is the date you wanted. Was it more about the timing of everything being in Madison square garden, being in November than it was about the opponent? Because again, this is not a knock on Chris Gutierrez. I'm just thinking like selfishly, like Frankie and Dominic would be like, you know, the legend fight, you know, to go out on. But again, was it just more important about getting this date in this place than it was the opponent? No, you know, I, I pretty much think would have, uh, I would have waited for, for Dominic, but uh, from, from what I got is that I think he might have to get a surgery or something. So, you know, after that last fight, he's going to be take a real, you know, it might take a while to come back. So I didn't want to wait too, too long. And, uh, you know, November just seemed right. So uh, as far as the opponent, I, I, stay, I just stayed out of it. I told Ali and, uh, and, and Mark, you know, guys figure it out an opponent and that's it. Cause I'm not, I'm not really one to pick somebody. Yeah, does that just kind of fall in line with who you've always been as a fighter? Because even when you were champion, you didn't care who your opponent was going to be. When you beat BJ Penn, they said, "Well, you got to run it back right away." You didn't. You didn't hesitate to do it. You know, Gray Maynard, Benson. Any any time there's been an obstacle and they threw in your way, you just kind of like shrug your shoulders and let's get to work. Is it kind of the same thing here? Like this is the perfect way for Frankie Edgar to go out because it doesn't really matter about the opponent because you've never really cared about the opponents. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um, you- especially for this one, you know, I guess the opponent only matters when you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to win a title. The only, the only opponent matters is who has the belt, you know, and, uh, you know, if a fight can get you there, of course you want certain matchups, but, uh, you know, in this part of my this stage of my career, I just wanted to get in there one more time, put on a show, you know, leave it all out there and, uh, and, you know, hopefully walk away with a, with a win. Yeah. I know you've never been like a super reflective guy, Frankie. You don't sit around and look at the record books and look at your Wikipedia page and like, you know, admire what you've done. But, and I know you've answered some variation of this question throughout your career, because again, we we're always astonished at the great, amazing things you've done. But I was just looking, again, I don't always sit there and study your resume before we talk because we talk pretty often. So I know your resume, but I just decided to look at it before here. And I was like, the fact that the the killer's list of guys you've gone through in your career, both in three different divisions, lightweight, you know, featherweight, and bantamweight, 
I don't know that there's anyone that has ever done that in terms of multiple weight classes, multiple title fights, becoming a champion. Again, when you when you when you kind of wrap a bow on everything at the end of the day after November 12th, like is that one of the things you're always going to hold your head highest about? The fact that you did take on the absolute toughest challenges. And you did it across three weight classes, Frank. You didn't just fight anybody at three different weight classes. You fought the best guys in the world in three different weight classes. No, absolutely. That's something uh, I always wanted to say. You know, when I look back at my, my career, they're like, damn, this guy fought everybody. And um, I never, you know, getting into the sport, I didn't plan to fight amongst three different weight, across three different weight classes. But, uh, you know, just the nature of the game. And, uh, you know, obviously when I first got in, 55 was the only weight class I could have fought in. Um, so that's kind of, I was, I was kind of, you know, ended up there by default, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's just a true martial artist, you know, um, I think this sport was, was, uh, you know, really put on the map by Horace Gracie coming in there, a little guy beating bigger guys and, you know, being versatile and be able to fight and, and, and win it in three different weight classes. I think kind of, kind of is, uh, a little throwback to that. It's wild to think, like, when you stand next to some of the guys you fought, like, even, like, Pedro Munoz, Corey Sanhagen, some of the other guys you fought at Bantamweight, like, even in those situations, Frankie, you've still been the smaller guy. You've still been the shorter, smaller guy. Featherweight was the same thing. I think back to lightweight, like, when you look at lightweights, you know, the guys who are fighting at lightweight, like, it's so crazy that you were never, you were never the biggest guy at lightweight, even, you know, in your, in your biggest heyday of being champion, you were never the biggest guy. But you always found a way to win. And again, I know you're never going to sit there and pat yourself on the back. But when you look back at all the things you did in your career, is is becoming lightweight champion got to be at the top of that list? Only because like it's so. When we think about like you know the 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 size. Listen, size matters in the sport. It does. There's a reason weight cutting exists in MMA is because some guys don't want to take that chance of facing guys who are bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. You did it at lightweight. That was never your weight class, Frankie. Let's be honest. That was never truly your weight class. No, no, not at all. Yeah, it, it, that's definitely uh, that's the feather in the cap. I mean, a win a title, win it, whatever you could. That's my been my goal ever since I got into sports. You know, when I was a, a wrestler, I wanted to you know win a state title, then then a then a national title. This and I and I've always came close second, Miss All American. You know, in triple overtime, and and then finally I finally you know reached my goal, and that was just uh. That was just amazing, you know that that feeling. I'll never, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, one of the best best things that happened to me in my my, my sports career for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now we talked a lot about the, the 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 past. We talked a lot about the present. Let me ask you about the future, Frankie. You know, you're a guy who's always very busy. Again, you got a family. I'm sure they're looking forward to even more dad time. You know, more husband time, things like that. But you know, I know your focus, of course, November twelfth, right now, Chris Gutierrez, but. What is the future for Frankie Edgar? What you know, when you look at all the things you've done, you've been a you've been a wrestling coach, you've been a, a MMA coach, you've been a mentor, you've done a lot of other things. What is the future for you when you look at when you look at it like December 2022 or, or January 2023? What is Frankie Edgar doing? Uh, you know, I, I I have a I think I have a bunch of options that I got to really you know hammer down what I want to do, but uh, I'll always be involved in the sport of uh, of, uh, of MMA. You know, obviously whether. Uh, their own open a gym or, or help as a coach or something like that um you know i i may even like to help on the on the business side of, of this game i have a lot of experience to share i've been through it all uh you know maybe kind of help ali in, in that world as well and you know i don't know we'll see i'm, I'm open to a lot of things i i did a movie i'm actually did a movie it's I'm, I'm viewing the uh the cast and crew viewing next week so uh who knows what that could lead to Tell me about this movie. What, what, what can you tell? I know you may not be able to give away too many secrets. Tell me about the movie experience. Yeah, it, it, it was awesome. It was a real small, small budget. Um, 
you know, I, I have I have a podcast called Champ and a Tramp, and uh, one of the guests I have on, Kevin Interdonato, he's an you know uh, an actor, a local actor, and uh, he asked me to be in this movie, and it's called the the Bastard Sons. Um, you know, pretty good flick. Uh, you know, independent film, but um, we're pitching it to uh, to festivals. From what I understand, I don't really know much. You know, man, I was just uh, just jumped in there for for a week or two, but uh, you know, really cool experience. And, and you know, who knows if uh, that could lead to something in the future. Yeah, you mentioned opening a gym. Now I know a lot of fighters do that, but you know, one thing I know about you, Frankie, because I've talked to guys about this over the years. When I talked to Marlon Marais, or I talked to you know a lot of the guys who train with you over the years. Uh, and they talk about what a great coach and mentor you've been. And one thing that Matt Brown, who opened his gym here in Columbus a couple of years ago, said that like when it's finally done for him, he's told me this numerous times. He said, "When I'm done fighting, I know I'm going to be a better coach than I ever was a fighter. Like I know that's my my future being a coach. I'm going to be a better coach than I was a fighter, imparting that knowledge on the next generation of fighters." Um, is there any party that feels like that is that could be a big future for you coaching? Because I knew you've kind of quietly always been a coach you know, you've quietly helped a lot of guys and they always pay you credit but you've never i know you're never the guy to stand in the spotlight and you know grab the mic and say you know i i got you there you're not that guy but is there any party that feels like coaching in some capacity will be a part of your future no matter what yeah absolutely you know i, I in wrestling i you know as soon as i started wrestling i pretty much started coaching you know and <laughs> uh, i was always helping out uh you know either my teammates or the younger kids and then once I graduated college, I was coaching the high school level and I coached at the college level. And then I got into fighting. And of course, I'm always helping any teammate that, that needs help. So coach is just ingrained in me. And, uh, you know, I coach my kids in wrestling. My son has uh, aspirations to maybe get into to MMA. So who knows if I'll be coaching him in the future. But I'm not going to get too far from the max. That's for sure. Yeah. What about that? Like, I, I know there's, you know, there are, you know, we've seen second and sometimes even third generation fighters in this sport, even though our sport isn't that old. How do you feel about one of your kids doing MMA? Because it's a weird one, right? Like I know football, I've talked to football players and they say, I don't want my kids doing football. I know how tough it is. I know, you know, how banged up your body can get things like that. How is it for you? Like how, when you have that, that conversation, like, is that something you welcome? Or do you like sit them down and say, okay, are you really, really wanting this? Like, how do you, how do you approach like the fact that maybe you're one of your kids want to follow in dad's footsteps? Yeah. Well, well, well my middle guy is the one that wants to do. He's only 12. So we got time. So I, I kind of just, Treat it like, hey, you know, we'll hit pads. You know, he knows a little bit of jiu-jitsu. I said, well, let's just focus on wrestling. He's really into wrestling. So I said, well, focus on wrestling. Try to get, you know, into a good school for wrestling. And then, you know, MMA, we could always do on the side, do a little bit here, and then focus on it when we're set and done with school. I know you got a good school out there. I know you're a Rutgers guy. I know there's lots of good schools. Listen, send them to Ohio State. We got a great wrestling yeah. program out here, Frankie. I'm just oh, saying. Oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're open to all options. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> You you mentioned earlier, you know, um, the reality of this sport, you know, like kids, the reality of the sport is it is a brutal sport, Frankie. I mean, it is. There's just no way to deny that. And it, it goes beyond the knockouts. It just goes into like the just general, you know, crazy, wild damage you put on your body, not only in fights, but in training. I mean, I hear that a million times over. Guys tell me, yeah, I take far more damage in training, just, you know, putting my body through the ringer before I even step into the cage. Uh, but you have been in there. Like, was that, was there any part of that? Like you talked about earlier, like, you know, you want to be able to like speak clearly. And I know you kind of say it with a smile on your face, but it's real, right? Like, cause unfortunately we know the other side of the sport, the reality of boxing and things like that. Like, was, was there any small part of that in the back of your head saying, I just, you know, at some point you got to put a stop to that because there is a, there is a line of no return when it comes to damage in, in combat sports. Yeah, no, it's definitely in the back of your mind. You can't help but hear, you know, the talks of it at, in sports and especially in our sport, but across all sports. And, um, 
yeah, you know, it's not like I notice anything or I'm thinking like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetful or I'm slipping my words, but I don't know if that's how it works. Does it happen one day? You just wake up and you're messed up or does it happen over gradually? Who knows? So I, I just figure sometimes, you know, I, I'm going to be 41 and, you know, next week. And, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm somewhat coherent, maybe not the most, but, <laughs> but I guess good enough for now. So maybe leave well enough alone. Yeah. Now with that being said, Frankie, and I know, you know, you're going to end up answering a lot of these questions a thousand times over. And I hate to be the guy to ask you maybe part one of, you know, the, the, all these questions, but I mentioned the top of the show, I said, future UFC hall of famer. Now I think we all know that. I don't think there's any question about that. Some guys love it. They say, yeah, I want that. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I look forward to it. other guys. say, ah, you know, it doesn't really matter if they do it, they do it, whatever. Um, do you, does it matter to you? Like long run? I'm not saying it has to be tomorrow, but you know, when, when your career is done, like would getting into the UFC hall of fame mean something to you? I think so. I mean, you know, I, I put a lot into this. Um, you know, I cared every fight I did. I, I, I put my all into, I, you know, whether it was the training or the fight, you know, you watch any of my fights, you know, I'm willing to, you know, give it my all to, to get the victory and, uh, you know, to get recognized for that, I think, yeah, if you're going to record books, I think, yeah, that's definitely something that's, uh, that, that I look forward to, um, you know, why otherwise, why, why do I care so much about, about being Yeah. You know, again, you're going to ask, you're going to answer some variation of this question a thousand times over, because when you call it your retirement fight, everyone wants to look back and talk about the past and things like that. Um, Again, you're not that guy, Frankie. As I said, you're not the guy who's sitting pouring over your Wikipedia page saying, oh, man, this and this and this. I know you're not that guy. But uh, when you look back, like, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite fight is. That's an unfair question because every fight's your favorite. Every fight you have won is probably your favorite fight. Every fight you ever do, you know, they're all great. But what's the what's the fight most people want to – I imagine I know the answer of the fight most people want to talk to you about. I imagine it's probably one of the two Gray Maynard fights because those are so insane. I was at – those fights and like you know jose aldo of course a guy i'm sure you you, i know you know very well admire just retired when he retired my first thought was man i'm so lucky i got to be at a lot of jose aldo fights i got to interview him backstage and press conferences things like that i felt so lucky that i was there you know i've been a lot of your fights frankie i've interviewed you before and after you know been in there you know as media and i was there for both the great Maynard fights i was there for the for the bj pin rematch i was there for a lot of your biggest moments can I imagine the Gray Maynard fights? Or what's the fight most people, like, when they talk to you or when you have fans or whatever, are those the ones people mostly talk to you about? Or is there another one I'm missing that people come up and say, oh, man, Frankie, that fight? No, definitely the the, the Maynard fights. Um, always are top, top of the list, uh, you know, whether on Twitter or just, you know, just out and about. They definitely talk about those. I mean, I you know, I took a, a shellacking in, in, in the beginning <laughs> of both of the fights. So, so yeah, they, they were uh, definitely talked about the most. Those are two of the greatest fights in history. I mean, let's be honest. Again, I know you're not going to say that. Maybe you will. But, but those are two of the greatest fights in mixed martial arts history. We've never seen will, heart, determination like that. And I don't know, Frankie, if we'll ever see it again. Because, again, I watched the first one. I was there for the second one. I still don't know how you did it uh, all these years later. Do you take pride in that? Like when I say that and say those are two of the greatest fights in the history of the sport, like those are the kind of things, the legacy you built where that's always going to be remembered. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, someone like yourself that's been in this game and, you know, is, is, uh, is a notable in the, in, in the, you know, journalism world of MMA to say that, hell yeah, that that's awesome for me. Uh, that's how you get remembered. Right. You know, and uh, you know, I've been like, you know, it's kind of, it's going to be wild to be done. Cause I've been, I started wrestling when I was 13 and I've been chasing glory ever since then. So, um, you know, stuff like for, for reasons like that. Now, like- I, 
Yeah. Now, I know, uh, Frankie, you mentioned you've been wrestling, competing since you were 13, which also means you've been weight cutting since you were 13 in some form or fashion. Now, we talked about when you were lightweight, you were never the biggest guy, so you were not the guy who was cutting, you know, 25 pounds to get down to 155. But you still cut weight. You still had to keep your body, you know, in shape to make 155 pounds, 145, now 135. Um, I know your coach, Mark Henry, very well. He has an incredible pizza shop in New Jersey. I've been to New Jersey many, many times. There's a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good eating out there in New Jersey. Be honest, Frankie. When the fight is done on November 12th, you get your hand raised and they say, you know, you hear Bruce Buffer announce you as the winner one last time. You officially call it a career. Are we talking like welterweight Frankie Edgar, middleweight Frankie Edgar? Like, be honest, are you finally having to put weight cutting behind you and just enjoy some pizza and some pasta for once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to definitely enjoy it for sure. You know, uh, I don't know if I'll ever get too big. I'm not too big of a person, but I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely try my best. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it'll, it'll be nice to enjoy some guilt-free food, right? Because I know like a lot of times when you're eating, you're probably like, oh, man, I got I to gotta hit that workout tomorrow morning to work this pasta off. You can actually yeah, have a yeah. pasta. You can actually have a pasta dinner without worrying about working it off in the morning. Exactly, exactly. I'll be hitting up Pino's Pizza, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Last thing I'll ask you about, Frankie, you know, when you, when you, when you go into the, like, there's going to be so much attention about the retirement. And, and again, that's part of it. And as we said, part of the reason you do that is kind of put yourself in the position where you do it, right? Like you're, you're kind of telling yourself, I have to call this the last one. How do you, how do you stay focused just on the fight though? Because you know, at the end of the day, Chris Gutierrez is coming to take your head off. You know, he's not, he's not coming in here to walk, to lay down to Frankie Edgar. You know, he's not coming in to just like give you a win. So you go out on, on a win in your career. You know that, but you're going to ask, here's me day one. There's going to be 14 million other interviews. There's going to be 14 other podcasts. There's going to be, you know, all this stuff. You're going to have tribute videos and all this kind of craziness. How do you drown all that out? And just remember at the end of the day, this is a fight. This guy's coming to take your head off. He doesn't care that it's your retirement fight. He's coming to beat Frankie Edgar because, let's be honest, beating Frankie Edgar means something. This is Chris Gutierrez's chance to 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 move into that top ten in the world. So to actually, you know, make a big statement in the bantamweight division by beating a legend. So how do you drown out all that other noise, knowing that that's gonna that's gonna come at you every single day between now and November twelfth? I mean, to me, it's easy. You know. Um... Even it's my my last fight, my first fight, my second, my fifteenth. I want to win, and uh, that's what that's what drives me. That's what makes me get up and push so hard in the gym today at forty one years old. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, I, I, there's always some kind of noise going on every fight, every fight, and there's always some obstacle you're gonna deal with differently every fight. This is just another one of those things. But uh, my mind is laser focused on 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 getting a win. And that, yeah. that's, that'll never change. Yeah. Now, you know, when you're retired, you know, a lot of the other stuff you have to do to promote your fights like this interviews, a lot of that goes away because now you're not fighting regularly. People kind of leave you alone. Um, I'm warning you ahead of time because we go back many, many years, Frankie. I can't remember the first time. I, I I think I was at your first UFC fight when we first met. So this is going back a ways. I'm just letting you know ahead of time you're not getting rid of me. So you can retire. You can you can walk away. You can say I'm done fighting. You're I'm so you're still going to come do interviews with me a year and a half from now, two years from now. I'm still going to be calling you for interviews. I don't care if you're retired or not, Frankie. I'll, I'll be looking forward to it. I'll be looking forward. <laughs> You're like, you're like, I retired. This guy still won't stop calling me. Jeez, man. What do I got to do? Yeah. No, hopefully we'll have some good stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Are we going to get a little notorious B.I.G. on November 12th? One last time. 
the most shady Frankie baby. You know it. <laughs> Can't you cannot walk out in Madison Square Garden without that song. You know that. Right? Like people would lose their minds if you didn't walk out to that yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gotta be. Um, it's been my walkout song since two thousand nine. So we're we're rocking out with it. I love it. Well, Frankie, it is always a pleasure. It is always an honor to speak to you. I appreciate you doing this. Of course, have a great training camp leading up to the fight. Uh, cannot wait to see you back in action on November 12th. And uh, I know you're going to be busy afterwards, but you, I, I, you know, I'm sure you're going to get a million requests, but you got to promise you got to come back and see me after the fight. Yeah, 100%, man. I will definitely come back and talk to you. It'll be my absolute pleasure, brother. Frankie, it is always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk soon, okay? My man, Damon. Be good, brother. Bye-bye. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down, and new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A big thank you, of course, to Frankie Edgar. Uh, it is always a pleasure to catch up with him. And, of course, getting to speak to him about this final fight coming up in November as he prepares to compete for the last time ever uh, in his career, in his storied career. He takes on Chris Gutierrez at UFC 281 in Madison Square Garden on uh, November 12th. If I'm getting that date correct. Uh, so, yeah, always great to catch up with Frankie. Uh, the second interview today on Fighter versus the Rider is going to be a chat with Benil Dariush, who takes on... Matush Gamrot in a pivotal fight at lightweight in the division. Of course, you know, Benil is potentially one win away from a title shot. He was supposed to be one win away from a title shot when he got matched up with Islam Makachev back in February. Unfortunately, he had an injury, couldn't fight. It's been now over a year since Benil has fought, and now he's scheduled to fight Matush Gamrot, a guy on the rise, American top team fighter, former two-division KSW champion, incredibly good guy, coming out of a win uh, of his own against Armin Saruki in one of the best fights of 2022. Uh, Matush is looking to make a big statement at UFC 280 while Benil is looking to remind the world just how good he really is. Now, again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this interview was recorded um, prior to the news that Alexander Volkanovsky is apparently going to serve as the backup uh, to the main event. Of course, I talked to Benil about that because we broke the news from this interview. Benil saying he was expecting to be the backup because he's already fighting on the card and he was planning on weighing in at 155 pounds just in case something happened. Now, 
in real in 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 reality, neither story really may matter. I mean, as long as Makachev and Oliveira show up and make weight, we're not really going to have to discuss anything else about this whole backup fighter situation. But it is interesting that they would bring over Volkanovski to weigh in for the potential that he would step in. Now, maybe that's because Volkanovski is a champion, and if the worst thing in the world happens and we lose Makachev or Oliveira, it's still a big fight because you have a chance to see a, a you know a featherweight champion go up and become a two division champion on less than a week's notice, uh, and you don't lose a fight because if Benil gets the fight, then of course you lose his fight with Matush Gamrot. At the same time, it's it's a little bit of a bummer because I, listen, I, I make no bones about it. I like Benil very Darius very much. I've had him on the show many times. Uh, we've had we've had him on to break down cards with us and preview cards and things like that. But it always kind of breaks your heart when a guy is that talented and he just does not get the fanfare because he's just not the guy who's going to go out there and say crazy things to get people talking about him. He goes out there and puts in his work, gets wins, gets highlight reel wins, but he just doesn't have that kind of personality where he's going to go out there and bang the drum and say craziness on a microphone to get people to pay attention to him. Uh, I think the last time he won, when he picked up a win, he, he got on the microphone and, and said he wanted his new Tesla. I mean, that's just that's just who this guy is. And listen, I appreciate his, you know, I appreciate his how genuine he is. That he's not gonna suddenly become some crazy wild trash talker simply because that's how he's gonna end up getting fights. Because that's just not who he is, you know. And so I appreciate he's a genuine dude. The downside is, of course, is now, you know, he kind of becomes an afterthought a little bit in the race, even though he shouldn't be. I mean, if he goes out there and beats Matush Gamrot, and that's an eight-fight win streak for him, he absolutely, positively should be getting the next title shot against either Islam Makachev or Charles Oliveira. But we all know that's probably not going to happen because we got the Volkanovski factor. Now, Alexander Volkanovski's got his own situation going on right now where he is the featherweight champion. He's made it clear he wants to go up to 155 pounds and battle for the title. And I don't really have a problem with him going up and getting an immediate title shot as long as it doesn't negate somebody getting a shot at featherweight and it doesn't negate somebody who's earned a shot at lightweight. In this case, I think he would be taking it for Benil Dariush, assuming Benil can get past Matush Gamrot. Uh, that being said, we also know in February, the UFC is going back down to Australia for a card in Perth. Um, chances are the UFC is going to want somebody local to headline that card. We know it's not going to be Israel Adesanya. He's got his fight coming up in November against Alex Pahaya. Uh And I, I honestly, I think, and I know this might sound like an insult to the Australian fans. It certainly is not, but it feels like... Um, Israel at this point has become a, a Las Vegas headliner. Las Vegas, New York, you know, the big marquee cards are when he fights. You know, again, it's kind of like Conor McGregor. When Conor McGregor fights, yes, he did have a fight. You know, he, he did have a fight overseas and things like that. But typically speaking, Conor McGregor fights on the big, massive cards, the Vegas, you know, the sellout cards. Now, when he fought Dustin Poirier during the pandemic, it's a whole other story. The first one, the second one, I should say. The third one, of course, went back to Vegas. But when you can sell tickets and you can sell pay-per-views, you want your biggest stars on those cards in Vegas, New York, California, things like that. And that's why we rarely see Connor, Israel, you know, even Francis Ngannou to a certain extent, you know, guys like that uh, who are huge stars, uh, Ronda Rousey when she was around, that they typically will fight in the bigger cards in Vegas, New York, you know, California. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Of course, I mentioned Ronda Rousey. She had to fight with Holly Holm over in Australia. That was also a massive card because they were breaking an attendance record. I don't know that they're going to do that in Perth, 
So I don't know they're going to get, and plus it's a quick turnaround for Adesanya, fighting in November and then fighting again in February. That'd be a really quick turnaround. Unless he goes out there and just assassinates uh, Alex Paheya inside the first round, it would be hard to see him turning around and fighting again. Plus, who would he fight? I mean, there's really not a number one contender at middleweight beyond Alex. So uh, I don't think it's going to be Adesanya. The other option, of course, is the guy who is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport right now, and that's Alex Volkanovsky. If Alexander Volkanovsky is healthy and ready to go, Again, I don't think it's going to be the winner of Makachev Oliveira because they're not going to make that quick return around, I don't think, from October to February. Could happen, but I don't see a plus going into his backyard to defend a title. Again, not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying it's a little harder logistically. On the flip side, defending the featherweight title against the number one guy there. Now, I'm not saying that Volkanovski and, let's say, Josh Emmett is the biggest fight in the world, but... Volkanovski fighting in his backyard is a big deal regardless of who it's against. So that's why I think that's why we're seeing a lot of moving chess pieces right now to figure out where things are going to be moving from this card and then moving forward into 2023 because we got cards to fill and specific spots to fill like the card in Australia where you'd like to have a Volkanovski or an Adesanya or someone of that magnitude that's somewhat local. Of course, you know, Adesanya's from New Zealand, but again, Someone who's going to bring in the live audience. Now, you could argue and say that, you know, the Perth crowd is going to show up no matter who's on the card, and you're probably not wrong. But Volkanovski headlining a card at home would be a big deal. And I think if Volkanovski does headline the card at home, it's probably going to be a featherweight title defense because I just don't know um, that the lightweight title is going to be ready to be defended that quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And, And this fight card this weekend is so important in so many different ways. When you look at what happens with Benil Dariush, does he win? Does he actually get a title shot? Does he does he you know does he get to call out and fight the winner of Makachev and Oliveira? Rightly, probably so. He should be the guy. But will it happen? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts and variables that could change that. Uh, you got Bilal Muhammad taking on Sean Brady, you know, fighting down. I mean, listen, Sean Brady's an incredibly talented fighter, but Bilal Muhammad coming off the back-to-back wins over Wonderboy and Vicente Luca, you could argue he should be fighting Hamzad, he should be fighting Gilbert Burns, he should be fighting Colby Covington. Instead, he's fighting a guy down in the rankings who doesn't give him a lot to gain in a fight like this. This is this is high-risk, low-reward for Bilal Muhammad on a good win streak. And let, let me say, and the reason I'm saying that is because Sean Brady's freaking good. Sean Brady is really good. Sean Brady winning this fight, to me, wouldn't really be that big of an upset. That's not a knock on Bilal Muhammad. That's a credit to Sean Brady. He's that good. But Sean Brady doesn't bring name value. Sean Brady doesn't bring ranking. Sean Brady doesn't bring that experience into this fight. So it's a big risk for Bilal Muhammad. Then you got... Mano Fior taking on Caitlin Chukagan, you know, if Mano wins, which she's very capable of doing, you know, we got to, you know, maybe she's the person who gets the next title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. I don't know that anybody is going to be that much of a favor to, to really challenge Valentina Shevchenko, but potential number one contenders fight on the line right there. Then you got Sean O'Malley, you know, kind of out of nowhere, getting the fight with Piotr Jan, who is a former champion, you know, lost a close split decision to, to Aljamain Sterling in his last fight. Uh, you know, it been it been embroiled in that rivalry with Aljamain for over a year. Peter Yan is that dude. I mean, he is he is the second best bantamweight in the sport, in my opinion. And he's fighting a guy who's like number twelve or thirteen in the UFC rankings. Um, you know, unproven in a lot of ways, talented for sure. Sean O'Malley's talented. There's no doubt about that. But this is a big jump up in competition for him. But it's a huge opportunity. If Sean O'Malley wins, are you telling me Sean O'Malley versus TJ and or Aljamain Sterling isn't a massive, massive fight? It is. 
And there's a reason why they're doing this, because if Sean O'Malley could just jump the line and avoid having to go through Cheeto Varigan, have to avoid going through Corey Sanhagen, have to avoid going through, you know, Henry Cejudo when he comes back, things like that, and jump him right into a title fight, it's a massive opportunity. And, you know, if you listened to the preview show a couple of weeks ago with me and Anthony Smith talking about it, this is a winnable fight for him. This is a stylistic matchup that he could win, although I still pick Peter Yan to win. So interesting. And of course, the two title fights, we don't really need to say much more about those. Aljamain defending against TJ Dillashaw, TJ trying to come back and reclaim the title that he vanquished or that he relinquished a couple of years ago uh, when he got busted for EPO. And then of course, Aljamain once again, kind of seeking out some, uh, you know, some, some, some respect in a matter of ways after beating Peter Yan and now coming back and fighting a former two-time champion who a lot of people believe may be the greatest bantamweight of all time. So it's a great event, incredible event. With that being said, let's talk right now to the man who will fight on that main card against Matush Gamrot, Benil Dariush. As I mentioned earlier, this this interview was recorded a couple of weeks ago, so we didn't get to talk about the Volkanovski thing because, of course, travel and things, guys were traveling. He was traveling, getting over to Abu Dhabi. I talked to him ahead of time because I didn't want to try to get him like during fight week. And this all happened within the you know, past few days with the whole Volkanovski thing. So again, understanding that we're still going to talk about the, the, the fight coming up with Matush Gamrot, where he sits in the division and what's next for him with a win. So right now let's talk to Benil Dariush. It is always a, a pleasure to speak to my next guest. He is one of the top lightweights in the world. And he's making his return to action in October against Matush Gamrot. I uh, got a lot to talk about with this guy. Benil Dariush. Benil, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, it is always a pleasure to catch up. We talk a lot. Uh, now we actually get to talk about a fight again, which I know is exactly where you want to be. Uh, how excited are you to be at this point, literally a matter of weeks away from, uh, from getting back in the cage again? Man, I am... I'm like, I'm really dying to fight because man, it's been, <laughs> it's been so long. I haven't fought in so long and, uh, I just miss fighting. I miss being inside the octagon and, um, all I've done is just train for a fight and not fought. And so I don't know how to explain like how excited I am. Yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, let me start first with the ankle, because of course I know you're dealing with that. I know last time we spoke, you said you were probably going to be ready September, October worked out perfectly fighting in October. I saw on your Instagram, you were doing the, the PRP injections. How is the ankle? How is everything? I assume everything's good now, but like, how was it coming back from that? Everything's good. You know, the recovery was actually quite quick. I was, I, I even told the UFC I can fight end of August. Uh, so like, um, I mentioned that to them. I think there was an, um, there's just no options end of August. They wanted me end of July, but I couldn't make end of July. So, um, I guess they say save me for October. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot, you know, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of where you're at in this division, the lightweight division has been a bit of a mess over the last, you know, year, year and a half as we're trying to figure out where things are going to go. No one could have predicted Charles was going to miss weight by half a pound and you get a vacant title. This other kind of craziness. How much, uh, I know we talked and we broke down cards and things like that, but how much have you like paid attention to it, but also kind of drawn yourself back out of it because you were, you were hurt and you couldn't fight. Like, cause I, cause I imagine there's points where it gets frustrating, right? Like you want to be in there, but you're injured and you can't get back in there. And then you see all these matches getting made and your name's not in there. Like how much do you pay attention to it? And how much do you kind of draw yourself back out of it? it? It was frustrating. You know, for me, the most frustrating part was trying to get an opponent when I came back. So trying to get matched up with the guys like Poirier, which I thought was, made the most sense if I wasn't going to get Islam. Because I asked for Islam first for, the, for, the, for that fight to be rebooked. 
but I couldn't get that every book. So then I said, okay, then I'll take Poirier. And then um, they said, not going to happen. And then uh, Justin Gagey had just fought, so he wasn't going to be available for a long time. So then I said, okay, I'll go with Chandler. And then not an option either. And and so just just sitting there frustrated is, is, the, is the way it goes. And then I knew I wasn't going to get the, the, the fight with Charles. Uh, even though credentials wise, I think I was even ahead of Islam, but I, they weren't going to give me that fight. So I, I was just like getting matched up was the most frustrating part. And, and everybody's like, Oh, you shouldn't fight Mateus camera. You should wait for um, somebody, uh, somebody ranked higher. But in my opinion, he's top five. He's very good. Right. I, I think he's easily top five and he's very skilled. So, and I don't, I don't care what number you have next to you. I care about your skill set, and and so that that's uh, that was the most frustrating part. But then I, at the same time, I'm also very excited to fight a guy like Mateus Gamrat. Yeah, let me come back to Gamrat in a second because I agree. I think he's an incredibly good fighter. I've been watching him since he was in KSW. He's a really, really good guy. But let me go back to the other subject, which is, listen. No matter how many times Dana White said we're not going to make Islam and, uh, you know, we're not going to make Islam and Charles, we're going to make Islam fight Benil. I knew in the back of my head they were going to go to Abu Dhabi. They wanted to put on a big card. I was like, I can read between I can read between the lines here. We're going to get Islam and Charles. We know that's probably what's going to happen. And that's exactly what is happening. Outside of that, I was like, okay. And I think we talked about this. You and Poirier made a lot of sense where he's at in the division, where you're at in the division. And Chandler's another one coming off the big knockout over Tony. You fought Tony. All made sense. Was there any, I will say anger might be the wrong word, but was there any like, kind of like, come on, like, why won't one of those guys step in? Now, I don't know how much they offered it. I'm not going to sit here and accuse them of turning you down. So I don't want to make that accusation. But the frustration of the matchmakers not trying to put those fights together, uh, because when I heard Gamrod, I was like, well, I like the fight, but I like Poirier better. I like Chandler better because it does more for you, at least where they're at in the division. So, in my opinion, as a business, you have to do what's going to be most profitable to you, right? So for the UFC, they want to match the guys that are most uh, – uh, they have the most exposure. So I get the whole Dustin fighting Chandler. They're, in my opinion, Dustin is a superstar now in, in the UFC, and I think Chandler is on the verge of it, right? So it makes sense that they would want to put them together. What frustrates me, you're not, you're not just a superstar. You're an athlete. An athlete wants to face the best competition he can. So why wouldn't they want to face me? I'm on a seven-fight win streak. Uh, you know, the, the fights I've had, I, I, when I beat Diego Ferreira, who's like six years unbeaten, I have, uh, I have a ton of finishes. I, I took out Tony. Like, why wouldn't they want to face me? So that, that's more, more the frustrating part. The fact that my, uh, my peers don't even mention my name. And uh, that's been frustrating. And if it's all about business, Okay, then so be it. Go ahead and be businessman. I'll just I'll just be sitting here and uh, looking for my uh, next meal. Yeah, there was a time, and I remember having conversations with him when he was trying to get up the uh, the welterweight ranks when Kamar Usman could not get anyone ranked to call his name. And I called him the most avoided man in the UFC because no one wanted to fight him. No one wanted to call his name. And Usman is not, he's not a trash talker. That's not who he is. Now he's gotten a little more comfortable, you know, kind of speaking his mind, you know, when he became champion and things like that. But coming up, he's just not that guy. He was never that guy to say crazy things to get attention. He was never going to be Connor, you know, on the microphone, things like that. But he was just a really difficult matchup. And no one ranked above him wanted to give him a fight because they knew how tough he was. And he proved that when he became champion champion 
is there a little bit of that in the back of your head where it's like, Benil Dariush legitimately might be one of the hardest matchups in the lightweight division, but you're not the guy who's going to go out there and try to sell pay-per-views by saying crazy things about Dustin Poirier's family, and you're not going to make accusations about Justin Gaethje you know, just to sell pay-per-views. That's not who you are. So am I now, am I now speaking to the most avoided man in the UFC? Maybe in the lightweight division, possibly. I think so. I um. I mean, who, when was the last time you heard somebody say my name? I, I don't remember anybody in the top five ever saying my name, you know? So maybe I might be, I, I might be one of the most avoided, but I don't, I don't think, I don't know. It's not something I think about, uh, man. I mean, when you mentioned Kamaru, it's funny. Cause, uh, Kamaru is such a, such a freaking nice guy. And, uh, like you said, he doesn't talk a lot. So maybe there is some, uh, resemblance there. And some inspiration, right? Because he got there. You know, it took him a little longer. He had to wait a little bit. Then some things had to fall his way. But he eventually got there. And he became, you know, one of the greatest welterweight champions of all time. And obviously, I think he's. I think he has a great chance of becoming champion again. Uh, but you get there, right? Like, there's a little bit of patience in there, right? Yeah, he's amazing. Like you said, he got there. And look what he did when he got there. The amazing things he did. Absolutely. So let me ask you about Matush Gamrod, because again, he was a guy I had my eye on coming in from KSW. Uh, he comes in day one, loses a very close decision. And then since then been undefeated The fight, his last fight was an incredible battle back and forth battle. But again, when it got announced, Benil, I'm not going to lie. I was like, that's kind of a weird one. Like it just not, it's not a knock on him. It's just, he kind of just got into that top 10 level. And of course you're established in the top five. So even me, I was kind of like, I like the fight, but it was kind of a weird one. Did you did you have the same reaction, or were you just like, I don't care, get me a fight? For me, it was get me a fight, and then the fact... So when I watched him fight with Armand, I, my, I was literally sweating because I was enjoying the fight so much, and I couldn't... That night, I had to go exercise. Like, I had to go... <laughs> I don't remember if I shadow boxed or went running, I, but I did something just so I could sleep that night. Like, I was stoked on that fight. It was very inspirational. I loved the fight. And so that was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I want to fight this guy. Um, and yeah, like, uh, like, like you said, as far as risk goes, I'm taking all the risk. It's clear that I'm the one taking the, the risk, but this is like, uh, you're looking at it from like, from the business perspective, like from the, uh, the view of the businessman. I'm taking all the risk, but as an athlete, this is the most, uh, this is the most obvious choice. You want to fight the best guys you can find as an athlete, as a competitor. And I think he's one of the best guys I can fight. I think he's easily top five. So, um, I want to fight this guy. And then there's other guys coming up too, that like are amazing. I think, I think he's part of the new guard. And then the, the old guard is kind of just sitting there in the top five, like shuffling, fighting each other. But they Man, there's a new guard coming, and they're good. And I think they're better than uh, better than these a lot of the guys uh, sitting in the top five right now. And I'm I, I'm looking forward to fighting them. Yeah, I have I you know I have so much respect for you already, Benil, but I have so much respect for you taking this fight because we got to be honest. There's a lot of guys who wouldn't, right? Like, and this is not I'm not trying to take shots at guys who are ranked around you, so I'm not going to name names. But Benil, you know, and I know. If situations were reversed and there's a couple of guys in that top five where say you're going to fight Matush Gamrod, they wouldn't take that fight. 
They wouldn't. Yeah. They just wouldn't. They'd say he's not a big enough name, doesn't have enough accomplishments, I don't get anything from it. So there is a certain level of like, you know, I know Dana White says it all the time. If you're going to be champion, you should be able to be anybody. And I there's a there's a level I agree with that. I get it. Uh, but there's also something to be said about who you are as a person, Benilda. You did take this fight because we both know with 100% accuracy, there are guys ranked around you without me naming names who would 100% not take this fight. Yeah. Trust me, I know because I've tried to fight those people before. <laughs> and I wasn't ranked at the time in the top five. I was ranked in the top 10 or, or like top 12 or whatever. And they didn't take the fight. Now that I'm ranked top five, they still not, they're still not taking the fight. So, yes, I, I agree with you. I know. Yeah. And Gamrot's a really good opponent. He's got a great wrestling background. I mean, that fight with Armin was incredible. It was a back and forth battle through five rounds. He's had that main event experience. Um but he's trying to build his name off you. Let's be honest. Like he's trying to get where you're at and he's trying to take your spot. And there's always a certain, uh, you know, a, a certain, you know, extra, like an exclamation point that gets added onto a fight like that. Right. When the guy's trying to take your spot, like he's trying to take food out of your mouth. He's trying to take your opportunity away from you. Um, and, and there's a, you know, that I imagine that, you know, that makes you want to go to the gym, that extra session that makes you want to run that extra mile. Everybody I fight is, uh, is, is that guy. Everybody I fight is either, it's like they're either going to be my food or I'm going to be their food. So like that motivation is always there. That hunger is always there. I'm not trying to be anybody's food. I'm trying to make everybody food. So like, it doesn't matter what, what his ranking is. That's how I look at everybody. I look at everybody just like one more meal. Yeah. I know I'm going to ask this question and it's going to be annoying, Benil. And I'm sorry to ask you an annoying question, but I got to ask it. You know, you were in February, you were fighting Islam Makachev for a number one contender spot. We all knew that the winner of that fight was going to get a title shot. That was 100% guaranteed. And as it turned out, Islam ended up getting the title shot. And again, that's not his fault. You know, he fought Bobby Green. He won. And, and unfortunately, you got injured. So it is what it is. Now you got Matush Gamrot on the same card as Islam and, and Charles, which is going to be incredible. I'll ask you about that fight in a minute. And of course, we also know Chandler's going to fight Poirier coming up uh, in November. Where are you at in terms of the title? Like, do you believe you beat Matush Gamrot? You'll be back where you were in terms of you should get a title shot? Because that's what I believe. But I'm not yeah, the matchmaker. I, I, you know, I'm not the 100%. matchmaker. <laughs> when I spoke with, uh, with Sean, like, he's like, listen, we can't guarantee it because just in case, like, for example, Habib decides to come back, something crazy like that. But no way is, uh, are the guys who, who've had their chances uh, at the title shot getting another chance, you know? Like, they're not going to give uh, uh, Dustin Poirier or uh, Michael Ch Chandler another shot when they just had a shot, you know? It had, I think it's been one year. Sorry, my daughter. That's all right. She's, she wants you to get that title shot, too. I mean, she wants as exactly. bad as you. <laughs> she's, she's more angry than I am. But I, I don't I don't think they're going to give those guys the title shot. I, the way I was told is basically like, hey, the only – like, we can't guarantee it just in case, like, Habib comes back. Something crazy like that happens. That's the only way. They No way those guys get to jump ahead of me. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I think it's like, again, I have nothing against those guys. But, you know, Michael Chandler – 
on a one fight win streak currently. Now beating Dustin would be a great win, but he did just fight Charles, you know, a year, a little over a year ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, and we don't know. Obviously, we don't know how that fight's going to play out. And, and Dustin, he just fought. He fought Charles even sooner. Um, so again, you know, it's kind of hard. Actually, that's his last fight. That's his la- literally his last fight is against Charles. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard to justify that. And so that also plays a fact, rightly. And also, you get to be on the same card. Can I ask Benil, um, They always do the backup fighter thing. Have they talked to you about potentially being the backup for the main event? That's what Ali told me. I was the backup for this. If something goes wrong, they would put me in. Are you are you planning on doing the weight cut to 155 then? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not that hard. I make 156. Last time, bro, last time in, in Texas, like it was I was pretty much 155 when I fought. What happened was like I got on the scale uh, with the UFC scale, uh, the the it's a digital scale. It said like 155.2, and I was like, okay, I'm sure if I like I was I had underwear on, so I was like, whatever. I got on the the one from the from the athletic commission. It's one of those uh, uh, the the what do, what do you call it? They they use the weights on it. Right. Scale. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I got on that one, and he's like 156.2. I was like, what? So, like, I had to go back and cut a little bit more weight. I mean, the whole thing was stupid. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on making 55 just like last time. Yeah. Now you, you know, th- and listen, to be clear, normally I would say, you know, you're going to prepare for Matush Gamrot and that's the fight you're going to have. But we just saw, you know, days ago, the insanity that happened at UFC 279, where, you know, the entire card changes and 24 hours. And we have, listen, Charles Oliveira, whether we, you know, I, I, I feel, I legitimately feel bad for him that he's going to go into this fight as a, you know, the vacant title, but he missed weight by half a pound. It can happen, right? So in your head, like, you're not thinking about those guys, but is there a little bit in the back head saying, you know, I, I got to be ready for five rounds. I got to know that this could happen because weirder things have happened. COVID, all things can happen. We don't know. You know what I mean? Like, is it because now that if you're going to be the backup fighter, like, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that mentally? I mean, I just prepare, basically, I prepare for a guy like Mateus Gamrock and three rounds, five rounds. It's really just pacing yourself, right? For three rounds, I just I get to go nuts for three rounds. I get to go as hard as I want, and then for five rounds, I'll pace a little bit more. It's uh, like, you know, it's just kind of you get to enjoy your time in there. If if you really want to fight five rounds, so and as far as preparing for Islam or Charles, really the the way you do that is you be as well rounded as you can possibly be. So in terms of striking, in terms of um, uh, timing. Uh, wrestling, all that stuff. Be the best that you can be, and then don't worry about the rest. It's all going to take care of itself. Yeah, and you've already spent a whole camp training for for Islam, and I know you wanted that Charles Oliveira fight, so I'm sure you've already played that fight out in your head a thousand times. Yeah, I mean, I was supposed to. Ma- I've been matched up with both of them, so I've 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 studied both guys. I, I have an idea of how it fight each the guy, so it's not. It wouldn't be much of an issue. Yeah. Can I ask your opinion on that fight? I know you're going to get asked this question a thousand times leading into it. Uh, Charles and, and, and Islam, how do you see that one going out? And I know we've done, we've done breakdowns for entire cards on this podcast it's, and I always appreciate it. So how do you, how do you see that one going down? It's really tough, man. I'm like, I'm leaning towards Islam, but it's like small, like a 52% to 48% kind of deal. I'm not just because Charles has a lot of power. His grappling's good. I, I just, um, 
Man, it's it's all about who finds their distance first. Does does Islam find his distance to uh to um grab Charles first, or does Charles find his uh, distance to 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 land those powerful strikes? So it's just it's one of those things. Yeah, it's a really interesting fight. I, I actually, I'm kind of like you. I lean a little bit towards Charles because I think a lot of people are counting him out, and I, maybe I'm just going for that because I think people are like you know ready to crown Islam as the next Khabib. I I like Islam. I think Islam's great, but Islam doesn't to me doesn't have that signature performance yet. Where I'm like, man, I really know he's going to be that guy. He doesn't have those wins yet. You know, he doesn't have the, so like. That's what I I start to question a little bit with him because we haven't seen him beat a guy like you or a guy like Poirier or a guy that's you know established at the top of the division yet. So I got I, I I'm a little hesitant to put the crown on him yet. Beats Charles, I'll shut up. But Charles has done it. Charles has proven it. Yeah. So you have to understand, Islam is a tactician. He he works very good in terms of uh, game plan and setups and 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 he takes his time. You know, Habib was more of a, he was a tactician as well, but he created a lot more pressure and, uh, and he made a bigger mess in the octagon. Islam doesn't really make a mess. He's more pinpoint. He, he uses less energy. So, and with all that being said, guys like that, they're, they're, you know, it's hard to find them in, in exciting fights. Like that's the reason why you don't see them in exciting fights, but man, he's going to be hard to beat. That's why I'm leaning towards him. But if stylistically Charles has a great, great style to beat him because Charles is uber offense, like pretty much all offense and, and guys like that uh, give tacticians a lot of problems. Yeah. For you personally, what would be the more fun matchup? Would it be Benil or would it be, or me, would it be Islam or would it be uh, Charles? What would be the more fun matchup for you? I want to fight them both. So however I can fight them both is, is, is really, because to me, they're both very good. They're both, top guys right so here's whoever like wins i hope i can i can fight the winner beat that beat him and then uh hopefully you know the the loser gets another fight wins and then i come back and i can fight them because these are two of the best guys in the division i don't want to only fight one of them i want to fight them both so in terms of who gets me more excited they both get me excited but once i see who wins the fight that's the guy that's going to make me even more excited to fight him yeah, can I imagine, you know, after you go out and win your fight against Matush Gamrot, you're going to be running back out ringside to watch that one uh, unfold. I mean, it's going to be a great event in Abu Dhabi. Crowd's going to be insane. A chance to fight in Abu Dhabi which is, some cool, is a cool experience from that side of the world. You know, it, it, it's all going to be fun, but are you going to be the guy, like, rushing back out there to be cage side for that one? Um. So, yeah, I mean, it all depends. If I can get all of my interviews done in time, if I can get uh... – <laughs> If I can get showered up, man, it's like sometimes they uh, like uh, at the Performance uh, Institute uh, or I'm sorry, at the uh, what, what is it at the Apex? They would literally have us fight, go do on interviews and send us back to the hotel. And the whole time I'm thinking, can I get a shower in here? Like that's my <laughs> that's my biggest worry <laughs> right after fighting is like, can I get a shower? So if uh, if I can do my interviews and shower, I'd love to sit sit uh sit cage side and watch that fight like real close too yeah are you excited about abu dhabi like going going to find an abu dhabi i know this i mean it's a massive card but you also have to travel halfway around the world to do it yes and no i'm excited because it's a massive card and the fact that ufc put me on it shows that that i have value in the company 
Uh, the thing I'm not excited about, obviously, is having to leave early, having to fight. Up. I'm probably going to end up fight up at midnight or 1 a.m. or something. So having to change my schedule and things like that. So whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Benil, we do a lot of interviews and I always appreciate it, but I'm going to make you promise me something right now. You go out, you win, uh, you, you, you win your fight, you go eight in a row, you get the title shot. When you come home, when you fly home, first interview right now, I'm just telling you right now, you got to make me the first interview. You got to promise. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Here's the thing. You got to be, you got to be willing to call me probably on a Sunday, on that Sunday, because, hey. you know. I'll do, be I'll do yeah. it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I make I make time for you anytime, Vanille. You're one of my favorite guys. I'll always make time for you. I appreciate it, brother. So yeah, just get uh, give me a call on Sunday and we'll get get it over with. Absolutely. Well, Benil, it is always a pleasure to catch up with you. You know I appreciate it. We do a lot of these. Uh, you've come on a Broke Down Fights with me, and I always appreciate it, but I'm glad we're actually able to talk about a fight again. Uh, enjoy the rest of your training camp. Of course, safe travels over to Abu Dhabi. Cannot wait. to legit, Legitimately, like I'm already excited to see you back in action. Like I know what I'm getting when a Benil Dariush fight happens. I'm already excited. The fight's not even here yet. Uh, so enjoy yeah. your training camp. Safe travels. I hope the family's doing well, and uh, thank you as always for the time. You know I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Thank Talk you. to you soon. All right, bye bye. Want to say a big thank you, of course, to Benil Darius. Look forward to his fight coming up on Saturday against Matush Gamrat. A reminder: UFC 280 is an early start time, 10 a.m. Eastern for the prelims, 2 p.m. Eastern for the main card from Abu Dhabi. So. Uh, you know, check your schedule on Saturday. Make sure you're off or or calling off or whatever you're going to do to make sure you can watch this card because it's one of the most ridiculous cards of the year. And it's coming up in a matter of days. I want to say a big thank you, of course, to both Benil Dariush and my first guest earlier, Frankie Edgar, the legend, in his retirement fight coming up at UFC 281 in November. As always, we appreciate everyone that tunes into the show. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, you can always find us over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com, where we will also have you locked and tuned in for UFC 280. We got uh, media day coming up. We got a press conference on Thursday, and then, of course, the fights on Saturday. So do not miss a single bit of the action over on MMAfighting.com. A big thank you, as always, for everyone that tunes into the show. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible 
eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.